Let me just add my, uh, my, my second to, to David being here on staff with us. He is our connections pastor. Uh, yeah, you can clap for him. That's okay. Some of you are like holding back. That's all right. Uh, it's been great to, to, to get to know he and his wife, Sarah, and their kids. I'm so excited for God bringing him uh, on staff. He's in a volunteer position at this point um, at his request. Uh, so, you know, I, I don't want you to expect that he has a bunch of office hours here because <laughs> you'll look for him and won't find him because he won't be here for like during office hour stuff. But he is our connections pastor. If you want to get uh, connected both to each other, to the life of this church, to serving in this church, to just being a part of the, a deeper part of the family, uh, he is your guy. Uh, his wife, Sarah, is singing up here on the praise team with us. Um, and he'll be at the start here booth as well. So I want you to, to do this today. Just stop and introduce yourself. Let him get to know you, get to know him. Uh, but I'm so excited for what God's doing in their lives and in them as a, as, as, a, as a part of our church on staff with us as one of the pastors. I'm really excited, David and Sarah, to have you both and your families here. Thank you uh, for uh, jumping in with us. You've been, you've been part of our church since summertime? Six months, something like that? Yeah, yeah. Anyway, good, good stuff, man. Good stuff. You, you all will be blessed uh, by their leadership with us. So, um, it, new, new year, right? New year. Right, the old ad of what? New year, new me, that whole thing. We all say that, and then about two weeks in, we're like, ah, oh, it's the same old me. <laughs> right? Uh, and and I, I, it, I don't want to step on toes a whole bunch, um, but I do, I, I've been... I've seen a lot, like there's this, there's this thing that people are jumping onto called uh, like, you know, personal affirmations. You know what I'm saying? Like, like I am this, I am that. Uh, I see a lot of those. And, and, and again, good on you uh, if that's, if that's kind of your jam. But, but here's my concern. They seem to me to by and large be pretty egocentric in nature. What I mean by that is what I see, this is I am strong, I am confident, I am beautiful, I am capable. Um, and positive self-talk is important because the alternative is negative self-talk and that's no good. But as I look at that, I think the disciples' self-talk should always bend the knee to Jesus rather than to self. And as I look at these affirmations, my, my encouragement would be this. To end those affirmations, bend those knees, the affirmational knee to Christ. So the affirmations become that I am more than a conqueror through Christ. That greater is he who is in me than he who is in the world. That his strength is made perfect in my weakness so I will glory in my weakness. Not affirm myself out of it. That always ought to always bend the knee to Christ. Well, 2 Corinthians 1.20 says God is always a yes and an amen. What about the times when God is a no? What about the times when our own personal affirmations are not affirmed of by God? When he has something different planned? When rather than give us a yes, he gives us a no? See, what I know about God and what I know about me, and it's the same for you, is this. That one of us, God or me, is going to tell the other one no. 
I will either tell God no or God will tell me no. That's just how it's going to go. Because of what the Bible tells me in Isaiah 55, 8, my ways are higher than yours, God says. Because his ways are higher and different than mine, inevitably, one of us is going to tell the other one no. Do you understand that? And hmm, we tell God no a lot. We don't set out to tell God no. That's just our natural knee-jerk reaction. For instance, to the tithe, people tell God no. To the bold verbal witness, people tell God no. To serving the church through the church regularly, People tell God no. <laughs> to constant self-denial, people tell God no. See, here's what I've learned, and, and we're going to see this play out in Acts 16 when God says no. But what I've learned and, and what I'm, I am realizing is this. When we tell God no, our no to God is motivated either by fear or selfishness. When God says to tithe and we tell God no, it's motivated by fear or selfishness. When the clear instruction of Scripture is for a bold verbal witness of our faith and we tell God no and don't do it, it's usually motivated by fear. When Scripture calls us to self-denial and we tell God no, it's usually motivated by selfishness. So our no's to God are usually motivated by either fear or selfishness. But when God tells us no, it's always motivated by his love and his kingdom purposes. The only reason God tells us no is out of love for us because his plans are higher, greater, and better. When God tells us no, it's always for his kingdom advancement in the world. One of us is going to tell the other one no. Usually, the way we approach this whole thing is usually, well, the way we approach God is we start with a no in mind. And we want God to prove to us why we should say yes. This is how we function. Matter of fact, when the Bible, again, the tithe is the easy one to pick on. When God says to tithe, we start with a no until God convinces us why it's the best for us to do. Until God convinces us it's going to be beneficial. So we usually start with a no and make God convince us of a yes. Biblically, we're to start with a yes and make God tell us no. Biblically, our response should be on the front end to what, God, you got my yes. Whatever you say, you got a yes. And make him tell us no do this. Do you see? You understand that? <laughs> see, some of you want to go, no. <laughs> Our initial response should always be yes. Yeah, God. God, you have the freedom to give me a no if you want me to do something different. But I say yes on the front end to everything from you. The tithe, the witness, the self-sacrifice, the self-denial. You got my yes. And let God direct the yes. 
And this is what we see in Acts 16. What happens when God tells us no? If you have a Bible, and, and, and I will encourage you to turn either in your actual, actual book or on your smart device, Acts 16. If you have our app, which I encourage you to download, it's at the, on the app, at the App Store. Is it at the App Store or in the App Store? I never know what to say. Is it online or in the line? Is it? Anyway, all the scripture will look at is, is on our app. So you just download that thing, go to Sundays, go to message notes, sermon notes, and you click on a link and it'll bring up all the scripture we'll look at. But in Acts 16, verses 1 through 5, um, there we go. Here, here, here's what the Bible says. He, this is Paul, he came to Derby and then to Lystra where a disciple named Timothy lived whose mother was a Jewish and a believer but whose father was a Greek. The brothers at Lystra and Iconium spoke well of him, spoke well of Timothy. Paul wanted to take him along on the journey so he circumcised him because of the Jews who lived in that area for they all knew that his father was a Greek. As they traveled from town to town, they delivered the decisions reached by the apostles and elders in Jerusalem for the people to obey. So the churches were strengthened in the faith and grew daily in numbers. Now, in my Bible, Acts 16 comes right after what? Acts 15, good. I think it's the same in yours. Timothy was a young man who was going to join this work of Paul and this kingdom work as Paul and his companions traveled throughout the region telling people about Jesus. He was called into ministry while he was young. He had a godly heritage. He'd been prayed over. They laid hands on him and had a heart for ministry. And in Acts 16, it opens up here with Paul circumcising him so that he can join the work of the ministry. Now, because Acts 16 comes after Acts 15, we have to know what happened in Acts 15. Do you remember? Any Bible students remember what happened in Acts 15? It was a council at Jerusalem. And as the church was growing, it was a Jewish faith in a Jewish Messiah, and these Gentile non-Jews were believing in this Jewish Messiah. And so the, the, the discussion was, how much of the non-Jew has to become a Jew to believe in this Jewish Messiah? How much do they have to become us? That's a, that was the question. And so some of the Jews who were following Jesus thought that they needed to become Jew in order to follow Jesus. And that prior, primarily meant that the men had to be circumcised. Hmm. So that was, that was going to be a stumbling block. And so the Council of Jerusalem, Acts 15, got together and said, okay, let's, let's keep the main thing the main thing. You can follow Jesus because of God's grace by faith, not because of works. So you don't have to be circumcised in order to follow him. Praise God. All the men said amen. So they just got done saying in Acts 15, you don't have to be circumcised to follow Jesus. You get to Acts 16, and what was the first thing Paul does to Timothy? Circumcise him. Why? At this point, Paul's ministry was primarily to Jews. Timothy's mom was Jewish, though his father was a Gentile Greek. By law, by Jewish law and custom, 
if a, if, a, if a person, if a son was born of a Jewish mother, it legally made them a Jew. So the Jews in the area saw Timothy as a Jew, though he was uncircumcised. So he wasn't just a Jew, he was an apostate Jew. He was out of line. And they could not accept anything coming from him. And for Paul to align himself with an apostate Jew in trying to reach the Jews, he was nullifying and disqualifying his witness to the Jews because he was associating with this one who was apostate. Do you understand that? So Paul said, in order to remove any obstacle to those we're witnessing to, you have to do this, not for your sake, but for theirs. Has nothing to do with salvation. It's simply so we remove any hindrance to our message. Do you understand? That's why he circumcised him. Not as a condition of salvation for a Gentile, but as a condition as to not hinder the work Timothy is circumcised. And I just got to say, wow. Like Timothy is all in. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, I don't know, man. If I were Timothy at this point, I might say, you know what, Paul? Y'all have a good journey. I think I'm just going to pray for my huddle. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, like he's all in. Well, not all of them, but uh, <laughs> Come on, that's funny. It begs the question. It begs the question. What freedoms are legitimate freedoms that I enjoy, but that might hinder my witness? And do I love and value my freedoms and my liberty more than I love and value an unhindered witness? See, most people lean to the side of my liberty and my freedoms, even if it hinders my witness. And what I see in Scripture from the unstoppable church that I will quite literally carve away anything that might hinder my witness to people who don't yet believe. And so the question right from the beginning that we've got to ask ourselves is, what am I willing to sacrifice so as not to hinder my witness? This wasn't even a sin thing. Like if it's a sin thing, it's real simple. Stop. This was a freedom. I mean, Timothy was a grown man. I have the right to choose not to be circumcised if I don't want to do that at this point. Do you? Absolutely you do. But he, would not, he was not willing to let anything, even his rights, his freedom or his liberty, hinder anything that would be an hindrance to his witness. And the question we have to ask ourselves if we call ourselves disciples of Jesus is what am I willing to sacrifice that even is a right? a freedom, so as not to hinder my witness. Right? This is a kingdom first mentality. This is a kingdom first mentality. And this is why the church was unstoppable because it was filled with men and women 
who are willing to sacrifice even their rights and liberties so as not to hinder their witness. It's powerful, man. It's convicting. That's what it is. Look at verses 6, 7, and 8. Look at what the Bible says. Paul and, his, Paul and his companions traveled throughout the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been kept by the Holy Spirit from preaching the word in the, uh, in the province of Asia. When they came to the border of Mysia, they tried to enter Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus would not allow them to. So they passed by Mysia and went down to Troas. All Paul wants to do is witness and share Jesus with people that need to know. Certainly that's what God wants of his people, right? To talk about him, to share him with others. This is all Paul's trying to do. He's trying to go into Phrygia and Galatia after, after leaving there. He's, trying, he, 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 he's kept out of Asia by the Holy Spirit. God won't let him preach and talk about Jesus there. And so he tries to go to Bithynia and talk about Jesus there to the people who don't know Jesus and the Spirit of God keeps him from doing that. Why would God say no to him witnessing in those areas? He tries to go into Asia to miss you, and he gets a no. He's like, all I want to do is talk about you. I'll go to Bithynia, and he gets a no. So he ends up going down to this place called Troas. I want you to watch for the transcendent principles that are in play. Okay, watch for the transcendent principles of God that are still in play to this day. We can have the right desire, but it might not be God's right timing. And so we're gonna get a no. So here, here's a leadership principle I wanna teach you, okay? This is, this is just good leadership stuff right here. The wrong decision at the wrong time is disaster, okay? The wrong decision at the right time is a mistake. You follow me? The right decision at the wrong time is rejection. The right decision at the right time is success. So this was the right decision just at the wrong time, and so it was rejected by God. Paul got to know. Paul did not realize what God was orchestrating, but God was working behind the scenes, unbeknownst to Paul, for a greater yes. In order for Paul to get a greater yes, he had to, in the, in the immediate, get a no. Matter of fact, he had to get a couple no's. See, here's, here's, here's what I know. For God to do what God desires to do, sometimes we have to get a no. For God to do what God desires to do, sometimes he needs to tell us no. Now, I understand, first of the year, I'm going to do this, I'm going to accomplish this, this is my new goal, blah, blah, blah. And the fact is that God does want to do great things in you, through you, and with you. But in order for God to do great things in you, through you, and with you, he may need to give you a no first. Do you understand? I don't know how Paul got his no. He just got a no a couple different times. It could have been through circumstances. It could have been through people. It could have just been through block door after block door after block window. 
It could have been something just inside his own spirit. He just knew it wasn't right. I don't know. The fact is, he got to know. And, and I'm glad the Bible doesn't tell us how he got to know. Because if the Bible told us how he got to know, those were the only no's that we would pay attention to. And so because the Bible doesn't tell us how he got to know, it just says he got to know, a couple of them. We have to pay attention to the no's we're going to get. Because here's the deal. We're going to get no's this year. There's a lot of plans we have. There's a lot of hope we have. There's a lot of expectation we have on this year, right? Guess what? Guess what, David? We're going to get some no's. Billy, you understand that? And some of your no's are going to come by your dreams absolutely falling apart. It ain't going to come through. Some of your no's are going to come because someone in your life that's supposed to be yes is going to turn around to become a no. Some of your no's are going to be in the form of health. Some of your no's are going to be in the form of finances. Some of them are going to be circumstances. You don't can't even figure it out. But there's this closed door after closed door after closed door. Some of your no's are going to come because you're walking in step with the Holy Spirit and you're just going to know inside this is a definite no and I don't know why. I, don't, I just know it's a no. We're going to get some no's. But in order for God to give us a yes, he may first need to give us some no's. I don't, I don't know what Paul's no looked like. It just was a no. And so Paul ends up in Troas, though he didn't set out to go to Troas. If any of you ever ended up someplace you didn't set out to go, <laughs> And you ended up there because there were a lot of no's. There wasn't stuff you chose. And usually when that happens, we end up digging our heels and like, why? Troas is where Paul ended up, but it wasn't Paul's first choice. And it wasn't Paul's second choice. How many of us know that oftentimes God's first choice is not our first choice? How many of us know that sometimes God's first choice is not our second choice? How many of us know that sometimes God's first choice is not even our third choice? How many of us know that sometimes God's first choice isn't even our 19th choice? But what I love about Paul, he gets no after no from God. And he doesn't gripe. He doesn't complain. He doesn't moan. He doesn't pout. He doesn't post about it. There's just a beautiful response to God's direction, even through the no's. See, what I love about Paul is that he was mature enough and submissive enough to be guided by hindrance. Are you mature and submissive enough to be guided by hindrance without pouting? See, and that's the question, right? Am I submissive enough to God's direction that I humbly and gladly be guided by hindrance? Humbly and gladly. Or do I gripe and complain and moan and post? Look at verses 9 and 10. 
During the night, Paul had a vision of a man of Macedonia standing and begging him, come over to Macedonia and help us. After Paul had seen the vision, we got ready at once to leave for Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. So he wants to go into Mysia and Bithynia. He's told, no, no, no. He wants to get into Asia. gets told, no. He's down in Troas, and God gives him an invitation. He sees this vision of a man from Macedonia saying, come over here and help us. He gives us an invitation. Paul gets this invitation. Here, here's, here's what we have to understand about God's nose. In verses 9 and 10, we, we understand this. That when hindrance leads to my obedience, then God gives an invitation. When hindrance, God's no, leads to my submissive obedience, then God gives an invitation. See, but here's the problem. Usually, we get a no, and we get so hung up and stuck on the no that we're not even looking or open to another invitation. We get so bent out of shape with the no, we start asking God, why, what are you doing? Why don't you, maybe I need to, whatever, because we get so hung up on the no, we can't keep ourselves open to the invitation God wants to give us for a yes. It wasn't until after God said no and no that Paul humbly submitted in obedience that he got an invitation. Same is true for you and me. God's invitation will always be better than your first choice. Understand that. Paul was invited by God to go into Macedonia. The significance about that invitation is this was the first steps of the kingdom into Europe. See, Paul was beginning to see the grandness that was set in place by the no on the front end. Paul wanted to reach a region. God wanted to give him a continent. And some of us are asking for a yes from God for a region, and God says no because I want to give you a continent. Do you understand? And that's why we can be submissive and trusting to God's no. And then keep our eyes open for the invitation. When you get a no this year, when you get a no, get your eyes open and be expectant of a greater invitation coming from God. I don't know when the invitation is going to come. It might come immediately. It might be a day or two. It might be a month or two. It might be longer. But the invitation's coming. So when you get a no, don't pout, don't grumble, don't complain, don't post, don't talk. Just submit humbly. Thank God for the invitation that's coming and get your eyes open. Because the invitation's coming. I love the fact that, that, that Paul was doing, he, this is not just the story of Paul. This is the story of Paul's team. Paul was leading a great team. Now, Paul was the one who responded to the call, and he immediately gave God a yes, and he didn't have a meeting to try to convince others to join him. He didn't try to rally support. He just gave God the yes, I will go. But he was surrounded by a group of great men who also agreed to go with him. Who gave God a yes on the front end. And what we see here is a strong, godly man leading a strong, godly team. And this is what makes the church unstoppable. They give God a yes on the front end and then they just go. Which, by the way, I need to tell you that we have given God a yes on the front end. We're going back to Mexico this spring break. Okay? Uh, and um, 
It'll be a strong, godly team. Getting back, this, the end of this week, we're going back to Guatemala. Next month, we're going back to Cuba. Spring break, we're going back to Mexico. It's time. And because you pay attention to the word that's being preached to you, all of you have given God a yes on the front end. You let God direct you to a no. Do you understand? Anybody who is a regular part of our church in worship here on a regular basis is welcome to go with us. But that's the asterisk and the caveat towards that. Regular part of this church in worship with us. You're welcome to come along. I'd love to have you. And Paul begins to see God's orchestration through the no. I want you to notice something. That the pronouns change of verses uh, up, up through verse 9 and into verse 10. They change from third person to first person. During the night, verse 9, Paul had a vision of a man of Macedonia standing and begging him, come over to Macedonia and help us. After Paul had seen the vision, we got ready at once to leave for Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. The pronouns change. Up through, up through verse 9, it's all they and them. And then at verse 10, it's us and we. That's significant. Who wrote the book of Acts? Luke. Wrote the gospel of Luke and the book of Acts. When the pronouns change from they to we, what does that mean? Luke suddenly joined them. This is a place where Luke got connected with Paul and Paul got connected to Luke. From they to we means this is where Luke got involved. He joined the team. He got connected with Paul. See, God's no, why? So that God could include Luke in the work that Paul was doing. That's why Paul got the no's. Paul didn't know that on the front end. God, here's the thing. God's no is always for our blessing and kingdom advancement. We know that Paul had some health issues. What was Luke's profession? He was a doctor. God's no was for Paul's blessing and kingdom advancement. Paul had health issues. Luke was a doctor. God told Paul no and no, because if he said yes and yes, he would have never met Luke. Maybe God brought Luke to Paul because Paul needed him, and God's provision for Paul was through a no. See, because God said no to Paul initially, one, God was able to give Paul a continent, not a region. Two, Paul was, God was able to give Paul a, a, a doctor for his needs for the journey. And three, God was able to give us the majority of the New Testament. Because who wrote the most of the New Testament? Luke. Because God gave Paul knows and Paul submitted to it. Do you see how God works? His nose are so good. You know, Paul didn't see anything different on the front end than what you and I see. He didn't have any special insight into what God was orchestrating and doing. God didn't give him any advanced warning. Paul, I'm going to give you a couple notes, but don't worry. I'm working this guy out. It'll be good. He didn't give him any of that. He just gave him a note. But Paul was mature enough and submissive enough to know that God's no is part of God's plan and purpose. 
And so Paul could trust him. Could trust the no. You know what it feels like when your plans don't work out? How discouraged do you get? You know how it feels when your dream dies? How disheartening is that? You know how it feels when it feels like every effort is just met being blocked? How disheartening is that? God might be telling you a no. And if you don't get hung up on the no, he's going to give an invitation to something greater. So the question we have to ask ourselves is this. Can I trust and celebrate the no's as much as the yes? Not just tolerate the no's. But can I trust it and celebrate the no? Thank you, Lord. I don't know what you're protecting me from. I don't know what you're delivering me out of. I don't understand this right now. And if I'm honest with you, this hurts. But I thank you that your invitation's coming. And that when you finally give me a yes, it's going to be far greater. The joy is so much more profound than the hurt of the no. Look at this, verse 11 through 15. From Troas we put out to sea and sailed straight to uh, for Samothrace, and the next day on to Neapolis. From there we traveled to Philippi, a Roman colony and the leading city of that district of Macedonia, and we stayed there several days. On the Sabbath, we went outside the city gate to the river where we expected to find a place of prayer. We sat down and began to speak to the women who had gathered there. One of those listening was a woman named Lydia, a dealer in purple cloth from the city of Thyatira, who was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. When she and the members of her household were baptized, she invited us to her home. If you consider me a believer in the Lord, she said, come and stay at my house. And she persuaded us. Do any of you remember what the vision was that Paul got? What was the initial vision? It was of a man, Billy Wright. It was of a man saying, and who did he meet when he got there? A woman named Lydia. Why the the mix-up? Well, I don't know. Nobody knows, but I got some ideas. Maybe the invitation was really a vision of Luke because it was when he responded to that vision that he met Luke. So maybe it was the Holy Spirit kind of prompting him to look for Luke. Or maybe when Paul arrived looking for men, he didn't find any. He found a very strong, intelligent, successful businesswoman. The fact that she was delta in in purple cloth means that she was a woman of means and very successful because that was a very rare color in those days to dye uh, uh, material with. So he finds this very strong, successful, empowered woman. The fact that, that they were praying at the river and not at the synagogue tells us this, that there weren't many men in that area. Because all it took in the Jewish law was to have 10 Jewish men to constitute a synagogue, so there weren't even 10 men available. And I love the fact that it was Lydia, the first first convert in the continent of Europe was a woman. And God started his expansive kingdom, unstoppable kingdom work through a woman, and I love that. 
because it reminds me that Christianity always elevates women above the cultural standard that they're living in. Always elevates women. Honors them. Why? Because both men and women are made in the image of God. That God is neither male nor female. He is fully both. God is fully both. And women, you carry with you the image of God. Fully capable. Fully capable of being used by God to expand his unstoppable kingdom. It's a beautiful reminder of who God is. Well, let me just finish with this one last thing. Just this one last thing. Verse 14. One of those listening was a woman from the city of Thyatira named Lydia, a dealer in purple cloth. She was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. The Lord opened her heart to respond to the message. This is the key to the expansion of God's unstoppable kingdom in the world, that God opens the hearts of those who listen to his message. This is my prayer for everyone who hears our message. This was my prayer all this week leading up to today. This was my prayer when I woke up this morning. This was my prayer when I was in my office before our team meeting. This was our team meeting's prayer. This was my prayer before I preached. The, this is my prayer before this one that the Holy Spirit would open the hearts of those who listen. See, from, from what I know is this, that the response of the church is less dependent upon the preacher's ability and more dependent upon the Holy Spirit opening up hearts. That's God's job. Our job is to come with hearts prepared and open based on the work that God has done to put us in a position to open our hearts. And through that, the Holy Spirit speaks. And this is why you should never, ever, ever be shy about sharing your faith. And this is why you should never have the attitude, I don't know the answers. I don't know what to say. That excuse for the Christ followers off the table now. Because it's not your words and your knowledge that may allow someone to respond. It's the opening of the heart by the Holy Spirit. So no longer, if you're a disciple of Jesus, do you or I get to say, well, I don't know what to say. I don't know how I have the answers. What if we ask something I don't know? That, that's off the table. Because it's not contingent upon our knowledge or skill. It's dependent upon the Holy Spirit opening the heart. And here's the deal. Because I know that the Holy Spirit is working to open the hearts of those who are here, I will put the work in so that my message is clear. But the responsibility is on the Holy Spirit, not me. And so, your witness, Christian, is not dependent on your knowledge. Your witness is dependent upon the Holy Spirit opening their hearts. No more excuses. Do you understand? And this is why you're to always be praying for your huddle. Those people in your life that you have a relationship with, that God will continually work to open their hearts.
And secondly, this is why you take every advantage of every opportunity you have. Because you know that God is opening their hearts. All you gotta be do, all you gotta do is be faithful. You understand? And so, like Paul, like Timothy, like Lydia, go and do likewise. You're part of an unstoppable kingdom. Don't let your lethargy or apathy stop you. I want you to pray with me. Father, I thank you that you are so, so good that all our lives you've been faithful. All our lives you've been so, so good. I thank you that your mercies and your grace are new every morning. Thank you that your faithfulness is profound. Thank you that you never sleep, you never slumber. Thank you that you're the same today that you were yesterday. You'll be the same God tomorrow. Father, I thank you that you've numbered the hairs, a number of hairs on our head. I thank you that, that, that not a leaf falls from a tree that you're not aware of. I thank you that you take care of the sparrows and, the, and you certainly take care of us. And I thank you that you have goodness behind your nose. That the nose that you give are motivated by your love for us and your kingdom in advance. Help us trust them because we trust you. Holy Spirit, I thank you that you are active right now, opening hearts to respond to your message. I want to invite you in this moment. This is, this is your time. I don't want to put words in your mouth. I just want to guide you in this and give you an opportunity before God to say, God, I'm going to trust your nose. Forgive me for how bent out of shape I've been when you've tried to direct me by hindrance. You're trustworthy. And I'm going to trust it when you say no. I believe, God, that you've got a greater yes coming. And I look with anticipation for your greater yes. Help me not to miss your invitation. Take a step further if you dare. Say, God, I will be faithful to be bold in my witness because I know that it's not contingent upon my ability. I trust you're preparing the hearts of my huddle to respond to you, and I will be faithful in my witness. God, as we submit ourselves to you this year, I thank you that your plans are good even when they include a no. I thank you that you are leading us into continents, not just regions. I thank you that you are trustworthy upon trustworthy upon trustworthy. We give you permission to do all that you desire to do. 
respond to us and remember us according to the vastness of your mercy and your grace. You are a good God. You are ours and we are yours. We love you. In your name I pray, amen. Listen, church, I love you. And I'm so thankful that we get to start the year together, opening up God's word. In preparation for next week, David's going to open the Bible for us next week. It's going to be really, really good. Read the last part of Acts 16. It's the majority of the chapters left. And you're going to see God do some things that are it's just so like God. And sometimes the way the people respond to the Bible are so not like me. And that's why it's good to read it and study it and let God work on us. Ask God to continue to open your heart so you respond to the messages of his word. And I know you know some people in your huddle that aren't in church or don't know Jesus. Your job's to invite them. Jeff, let's wrap up with some worship, huh?